Hey, well, good morning. Glad to have you here with us this morning. Tom, thank you for your pre-game warm-up this morning. It was awesome. Hope to have you back. Our people will talk to your people and we'll see where we go from here. Last week, I said that the leadership needed to be more tactile as we deal with corona. And then I was corrected because I used the wrong word. I really meant agile, because if we were tactile, we'd have to use more of this and do a lot more of this. And what I meant was that we were supposed to be more agile. So as we try and progress in the coming months, as we're responding to the various health directions that are being given to us, we need to be more agile and probably a little bit less tactile. So a little bit less of this and a little bit more of this. And things are changing all the time. And so it's good that you're connected and that we can sort of um, progress and explore different ways in which we might be able to regroup when that time is right. There's one thing I want to say to you this morning. It's simply this. God loves us and he wants to remake us. He wants to renew us. He wants to refresh us and give us life. Three weeks ago, we woke to the news that there was an officer in another country who had arrested a man in broad daylight, and he and his three partners lent their bodies on his body. And one in particular lent his knee upon the neck of this particular man, and in broad daylight, as he was calling out for help and gasping for air, after nine minutes of continued pressure on this man's neck, his life was extinguished. And when we woke up and we saw that news, we wrung our hands and we scratched our heads and we said, what is in us? And then we woke up two weeks later or two weeks ago to hear that one of our state MPs, one of our leaders in our state had been filmed. And during that time he was being filmed in his office, he spoke in a particularly derogatory way towards a woman, in particular a female colleague. And furthermore, as he spoke that way, he revealed that he had been undermining the very, it seems, undermining the very fabric of our democracy. And when this was played on air rather than fall on your sword, kind of the recriminations were trying to figure out who had done the recording in the first place so they could be caught. And so when we woke up to this news, we scratched our heads and we wrung our hands and we kind of wondered what why? What is this all about? And then last week we woke up to the news that there were six young teenagers in one of the suburbs of our state who had set upon another teenager and they'd produced a knife and they'd plunged it into his body and they'd taken his life and we woke up to that news and we scratched our heads and we wrung our hands and we said, what on earth? And then just in this last week, we awoke to the news that the person who held the most primary position in our nation when it came to the legal fraternity, one of the most powerful positions in our land, has been accused of using his position to misappropriate his access, if you like, and his power to influence younger women for sexual favours. we wrung our hands and we scratched our heads and we thought, what on earth is going on? 
They say that power corrupts. But I wonder if the truth of the matter is that power corrupts because there's something in you and I that has already been corrupted. Some years ago, my wife and I, we had a liquid amber, a large liquid amber at the front of our property. Branches spread wide and far. One of the branches spread over the power lines that were right in front of our property. One day I looked up and I saw that there was some fungus on the tree, both at the base and in the branches. And after a winter's fall, we found that some of the the branches, some of the trunks weren't replenishing their leaves. And so I called in an arborist and I said, could you tell us the state of this tree? What is it like? And he looked at it, he gave it the, the once over and he said, well, I think if you fertilize it, if you just add some mulch to it, it, it'll come good, it's healthy, it's fine. A few months after that, without any warning, in the middle of the day, one of those branches that hung over all the power lines just fell. Such was the force of that fall that it took with it all of the power lines and it cut off all of the power to about a third of Heathmont. That was our tree. <laughs> For hours, power had been cut out. When the power company's arborist came and they had a look at the tree... He said, no wonder the branch was going to fall. It was always going to fall. Why was that? He said, because on the inside I found that it was simply rotten to the core. What is it that is in us that makes us do the things that sometimes we know are wrong but still do them? You see, those incidents that I just described, they didn't just happen through no fault. If you like... The tree was always going to fall. Why? It's because there was something wrong on the inside. See, at the beginning of this passage, when Paul writes, and he's writing to a, a group of followers of Jesus who had opened their hearts and their lives and their minds up to him, that they had believed that he was the, the world's true king and lord, the world's CEO, that he'd come back to life, and that through him God the Father was breaking in and bringing new life and fresh life to this world, and he'd filled them with his spirit, and he'd brought them alive. And Paul, writing to them, wanting to impress this upon them, steps back for a moment, and he begins to describe their state of being before they'd come to know Jesus. He said, there was a time in your life in which you were dead. Oh, don't get me wrong. You were breathing, you were alive, but you were just disconnected from the source of life. How do I know? See, because there were branches in your life that were falling, and you know it. You see, there was a problem on the inside. And so God came, if you like, and fleshed himself that he might renew us and remake us from the inside out. In fact, Jesus himself said, it's not what goes into you that makes you unclean, it's what comes out of you that makes you unclean. And then he gave this list of things. He said, anger and deceit and lies and cheating and stealing and pride and envy and lust and greed. He said, all of these things are the things that rob us of life. And they disconnect us from the power source, from God himself. Some years ago when I was... Studying, I was invited to be part of a new organization. And the would-be CEO of that organization said, would you come in and would you help us out? We'll give you some training and you can be part of this kind of new organization. And I was really excited about this. I shared it with a friend of mine who also knew this would-be CEO. 
and we were excited about being part of that. <laughs> and actually, the, the would-be CEO said, I've, I've actually seen someone else who is a respected person in our area, and he's also endorsed this work that I'm going to be proceeding with. We thought that was really great until my friend bumped into that other person that we mutually respected and mentioned to them that we were so glad that they had actually endorsed and given their approval to what this work was going on, this new beginning, this, this, new, this new task that was going to be formed. Only to find out that this particular person that we respected, <laughs> he said, actually, I haven't had a conversation with this would-be CEO at all. In fact, I haven't endorsed them in any particular way, which left us being then really confused. I mean, who do we trust? We're wanting to start in this new organization. We're wanting to be at the forefront. We're wanting to be trained, but there was something wrong. There was something not quite right. And so I had to make the telephone call. I made the call and I spoke to this would-be CEO and I said, could you help me understand? Because my friend and I, we've bumped into this person that we all mutually respect and they've endorsed what you're doing, but uh, you've said that they've endorsed what you're doing, but when we actually asked them, they said that they haven't spoken to you, so things don't quite add up. I don't understand. Could you please explain? In which he replied very quickly. He said, oh, look, it just must have been a passing comment in the hallway. It wasn't anything particularly big, but it was just something that was going on. So I tell you what, I think it's just probably a misunderstanding. Well, unfortunately, we dug a little bit further and we just tried to clarify with the person that we'd respected. And when we pressed a little bit further, they said, actually, no, I don't know them at all. I, I know them, but I haven't endorsed them and I don't recall any of those things taking place. And so then I was in the unenviable situation where I had to call back again and press a little bit deeper. I said, can you please help me understand? You want me to be part of your organization and you want me to trust you, but there's this thing that's really pressing now. And you said it happened, but he said it didn't happen. And he said, look, it must have been a misunderstanding. It must have been something that just, just sort of a passing comment in the hallway. And I, I, maybe, I, I made too much of it. And I said, yeah, but the pieces don't add up. And I remember the pause at the end of the phone when I heard this sigh and the older man, a senior man to me, he just said, stop, stop. I lied. I said, why? He said, I just wanted my organization to, to start well. I wanted it to move forward. I wanted it to actually be really good and I was looking for people's support and so I, I just said it. It came out, I knew it was wrong, but then I just had to keep on adding to it. I had to keep on adding to it. Every time you asked and pressed, every time other people spoke of it, I just kept adding to it. You see, that the truth and the reality of when you get caught up in lying or any of those things is that you have one eye on the path in front of you and one eye on the back behind you. The truth about lying is that when you start lying, it gets easier to lie, but it also means that you have to watch your back because you don't know which lies you've told and we don't, you don't know which ones will catch you up sooner or later. What I realized in that moment, the truth of the matter is, the power corrupts. But maybe it's because we're already corrupted. And as God looks down on this world and he sees the evil perpetuating 
And he knows that it's in each one of us. We mightn't have done those things, but it's there, isn't it? I mean, you know how it works. Do you always do the things that you know you should do? Do you ever find yourself pointing the finger at someone else and asking them to do something that you know you don't do yourself? You see, Paul, when he steps back and he's writing to them, he's saying there was a time in which you were just caught up and going along with the crowd. You were just moving ahead, being caught up in all the other forces and powers. You were just traveling along. You'd been born and then the only option for you was death and then that was it. But when you discovered and heard about the good news of Jesus, that he had overcome death itself, that he was in the business of transforming men's hearts and women's hearts and minds to renew them and to give them life. He said, you caught hold of that. You bent your knee, you welcomed him in, and your life was fundamentally never the same. And so he describes it in broad brushstrokes. He said, once you were dead and cut off from that life, but now you've come alive because of God. And so he says, but God is so rich in his mercy and he loved us so much, he made us alive when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He said, the moment someone comes and places their trust in Jesus, he said, it's as though, if you like, he reaches into the inner core of the, the rotten center and, and he transforms it and he remakes it. Oh no, it doesn't mean that you're rotten, there's nothing ever good about you, but I, I want you to dare to believe, writes Paul, that you are of infinite worth to God just in need of great repair. And that's what he does because that's who he is. He's the great repairman. He said there was a time in which God looked down and he saw that everyone was just going along with the crowd and getting caught up in the steam of things with no other options in life. He said he wanted to come down and do a great repair job on earth and so he did. He enfleshed himself. And when Jesus hung on that cross and he allowed his body to be broken and bruised and he poured out his blood for you. He said when he was doing that, he was actually taking upon himself all of the dark powers and forces, all of the greed and lust and pride and anger, all of the things past, present and future that are not part of the life of God, all of that tangled mess of sin and darkness. He said he was taking it upon himself. And in himself, in his own body, he was actually extinguishing it. And when he came to new life, it was as though he had broken that power and he could release a new one into the world by his spirit because God is in the business and transforming people's hearts and minds from the inside out. He said you were dead, but now you're alive. Why? Because you are of infinite worth. And not only that, Paul presses a little bit deeper and he talks to the people who are caught up in that life in Ephesus with all the other deities and gods and goddesses and all the other powers at work and all the other pushes and pulls of everyday life and having to provide for family and having to plow the fields and having to make a living. He said, so easy can you get caught up in forgetting who you are. So he presses a little bit deeper and he says to them, but God, there was a time when you were dead, but God, he made you alive with Jesus, just like when he brought him back to life, he brought you back to life. But even then, he presses in deeper and he says, for he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with 
Christ. He says, you don't quite understand it. You might not quite get it. But I want you to believe that when you came and placed your trust in Jesus, not only did he make you alive, but he picked you up and he seated with you just where Jesus is in the heavenly realm. You can't quite see it right now. It's out of the eye shot. You can't quite see it in all its fullness. But one day when that heavenly dimension comes here to earth and it fills the measure of all the fullness of who God is, he says, you'll be able to see him, the glory of who God is, the wonder and the awesome power, you'll be able to see it just like the waters cover the sea. See, you don't quite understand that, but that's the truth of who you are. You have been made alive and you have been seated with him in the heavenlies right now. Some years ago, when I was younger, our parents used to go up and travel up to Bright, that wonderful farming hamlet as it used to be back then. Now it's a tourist mecca. So my grandparents lived there and they built the first set of flats there and we would go up for every single holiday up to Bright. One of the great treats about going up to Bright was that our, sometimes our, our, our mum and dad would return home and leave the boys up to our own devices and we could roam free that whole countryside for just weeks on end during the holiday vacation. But one of the things that we enjoyed most of all, more than anything else perhaps, was sometimes that our grandfather, Pa Robbie, he would take us in his car and he would drive us to the local speedway that's no longer there in Bright anymore. And the reason he'd take us to the local speedway is that he would actually allow us to start driving. I mean, we were hardly, we could hardly see over the dashboard. But one of the things that we loved doing is that he would take us to the speedway and then he would pick us up from where we were and he would sit us on his lap and we would start to drive around that speedway, not all too fast, but we thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, he would pick us up and he would sit us there and we could just peer over the dashboard. We'd place our hands on the steering wheel and of course his big strong hands were right there next to us. He had his foot on the accelerator because we couldn't reach. But we thought we were kings as we drove around that speedway. We got a landscape view of the whole and we were independent young men driving a car and it was awesome. If you had have asked my grandfather, why do you do that, Pa Robbie? Why do you take those boys in that car? Why do you sit them on your knee? Why do you drive them around the speedway? I think he would just whisper back, well, it gives me great pleasure to see their pleasure. You see, when someone comes to know Jesus, Paul says, not only did they come alive to Jesus, not only did they come alive to God, not only did... Heaven's power come and infiltrate their mind and their heart. But it was as though that the God picked them up and seated them with his son Jesus in the heavenly realms. But he just didn't seat them there for no reason. Because Paul goes on and in verse 7 of chapter 2 he says, So God can show in all future ages the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. What he's saying is this, is that God didn't just reach down low to bring you up high, to sit him, sit you there beside Jesus for no particular purpose. But he said, one day, you don't quite understand it now. You don't quite grasp it right now from where your two feet are sitting right there in Ephesus in that faraway distant land. What you don't understand quite now is that when he seated you, one day he did that so that when all of his goodness and all of his power and all of his might 
light is demonstrated when his heavenly dimension comes here on earth, you get to be in the first row seat seeing the whole thing in front of you. And when you whisper and you astoundedly say when that time arrives, I have no idea it was like this, he will gently whisper back to you, I know. I know you had no idea. But I've just put it on here for you because it's my good pleasure. Because I just love to see the delight that you get when you see all that I have done for you. You see, the Bible has a word for that. When God reaches down through no merit of our own, even whilst we're still caught up, even when the tree roots were rotten or the core was kind of going its own way, even when you and I consciously or unconsciously had said, God, get out of my life, I can do it my way. He reached down and he lifted us up and he seated us in the heavenlies. Why? So that one day when all of God's fullness descends to earth and we get the front driver's seat view and perspective will go oh my goodness I had no idea and he will whisper back it's my good pleasure and great delight and we call that grace it's nothing that you and I have done but it's something he's done for us and it's all him from top to bottom from left to right from front to back it's all what Jesus has done for you. For it's by grace, God's goodness, that he has seated you in that new dimension and given you life. And this isn't of yourself. It's a gift so that when you saw it, you just went, oh my goodness, I had no idea. And you opened up your heart and mind to Jesus when you saw the profoundness of his great love and sacrifice for you. And you welcomed him into your life and you bent your knee and you said, would you become my king? And he did. And he did that for you. And we call that grace. Nothing you and I have done. It's all God from top to bottom. And so Paul presses a little bit deeper. And he wants to remind them that they could get lost and entangled in the world around about them and forget and not remember who they are. And so what we pick up from last week and we add to it this week, he says, you want to know who you are? Who you are is whose you are and where you are. Don't you know that you have been... You have been made alive and you have been seated. And one day you don't even know the spectacular light show that you will see. But I want you to know that who you are is not just whose you are. You belong to Jesus and he belongs to you. But also at the same time, who you are is where you are. And you are seated with him. And one day there's a destiny ahead for you that you have no idea about. That you will just spectacularly say, I had no idea. And he will whisper back and say, I know you didn't. But it gives me great delight and pleasure, and it's for you. Do you dare to believe this morning that no matter what's going on in your life, what's been done to you, what you've done, what you've been caught up in, or what you've been doing this week, might be falling short of your own standards or God's standards, that who you are, the moment you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, is whose you are and where you are. You're seated with him. That's where you belong. And no one can take that away. And Paul presses in a little bit deeper and he says this, For we are God's masterpiece. We are God's workmanship. 
And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he has planned for us to do long ago. You see, there's this word here, masterpiece, it's poema. It has that connotation of a poem. See, the moment in which you placed your trust in Jesus, he didn't just do that so he can give you a spectacular light display in the future. No, he's putting your hands and your heart and your body and mind to work here on earth. If you like, that you might drag down God's heaven and reflect it through you here on earth. He says, as you are doing that, and as you are opening up your life to him, as you are giving uh, yourself to other people, as his love flows through you, as you set about bringing justice and loving mercy in all the different spheres of your life, in your schooling work, in your business life, in your home life, in your community, on the sports field, wherever it is, as you open up your heart and you say, Jesus, come in and sweep the various rooms, he's doing a work in you, and he is transforming you, and if you like, he is writing you into his poem that one day he will bring about in the fullness of all things when all of heaven and earth come together because you are his workmanship. Would you dare to believe this morning that from wherever you're watching, no matter what kind of week you've had, whether it's been a great high or a great low, that you are still God's workmanship. And if you open up your heart and mind and say, God, would you continue to be doing the work in me? Fill me up. He will. Although it's not always experienced and seen. In the mid-1700s, there was a sailor a sea captain who was caught up in one of the most despicable, despairing trades, the slave trade. And his name, this captain of the ship, that even the crew members said of him, the things that he does and the behavior that he performs is even darkening to us. And his name's John Newton. And he was the sea captain that would trade in human depravity as he shipped slaves across from one continent to the next. It says of him in the mid-1700s that when he was on his ship, one particular day a storm arose and the storm was so fierce and wild that the man who had climbed up on the deck before him got washed off never to be seen again. And as he climbed up and took hold of the wheel, rather than lifting his head to curse God, he lifted his head to cry out to God. And in that moment, he said, something changed in me. A light was lit. And he said, I experienced an enduring power that allowed me to steer the ship to safety through the middle and the midst of that storm. Oh, his story wasn't one of radical instant transformation, but his story was one of gradual and slow working. But he said, nonetheless, there was that moment that I remember when God had lit his light in me and it began to actually seep in and lighten up the rooms of my life. Well, just under 20 years later, this former slave trader had become the minister of a church. And he was in the habit each week of writing down and penning the words to a song that he would create in order for the people who were listening to remember what was actually being taught that particular day. Well, on this particular Sunday, this week, he'd been penning words 
that would help them remember from whence they had come, from the great depths that God had reached down and lifted them up and seated with him, what that word and what that experience was and where they had come from. So he took to paper and he wrote these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I wonder how God might be speaking to you today. I wonder what the Spirit might be nudging in your life. When you hear those words and you grasp hold of what Paul is trying to say, does it make you want to praise and thank? I wonder when you hear those words about a poem and a masterpiece, if you know that there are rooms of your life that you need to open up because you have closed the door for God's life to come in and cleanse. I wonder if you're here this morning and this is the first time you've heard anything about Jesus. And I want you to know that you're of infinite worth. That's why he died. That's why he rose. He's in the business of transforming human hearts. I wonder this morning if you need to be set free from a sin that has bound you and bonded you. And it is time, it is time, it is time to put it to death. I wonder in this moment, as you hear the words of this song, that nothing else matters but who it is and where you are and to whom you are connected, the source of life, Jesus himself. If you might not open up your heart and mind, and some of you might praise him, some of you might sit and allow him as you relinquish areas of your life that you know need to change and aren't good for you, or if you maybe welcome him into your heart for the first time. But understand this. God is in the business of changing people's lives. He's done it to me, and he's still doing it. There's no other greater truth than this, that I am a sinner. I have been washed clean and set free, and it's all because of Him, Jesus Christ. Why don't you listen to this song now, and then we'll come back in a few moments and invite you to share a communion space with us together.